I'm a little bit late today. It's a, it's a Saturday. I would have been here yesterday. I was here yesterday, but my office was in absolute disarray. Now, I shared some photos today of why, and in fact, I expected it to be done earlier. And Monday, I shared shots, and I went before, and it was like facing this wall. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm conscious, like I'm doing this video, and talking about stuff you can't see in the video because it's all around me. But I had this white desk, which I've had, oh, it must be 14 years, a long, long time. Just about everything I've built has been on that white desk. A lot of it has been on that white desk. And uh, I ran with that for many, many years. And recently, as part of redoing all of my office and all the other bits, I decided to get something new, something custom-made, just the right size for here. And it's finally arrived, and it's in. It arrived yesterday afternoon, which is why I had no chance of getting anything done. If you know what it's like when you like disassemble your office or your home workspace, whatever it is, and you've got so many cables and everything's plugged in and it's all perfect, and then you rip it apart, and it's hours and hours. You can't really see <laughs> what I see at the moment. In fact, you can't even see. I don't even know if the edge of it's in frames. Yeah, that's in frame. But because it's dark, it disappears, which is kind of the idea, where I wanted something that just disappeared out of the frame. But also something that was, first of all, a proper desk, the one I've had for years and years. I'm not even sure if it was a real desk. I think it might have been a table. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Anyway, uh, that was fine. But I wanted, uh, I wanted a number of different things. One of the main things is I wanted something large enough or wide enough in the opening so that Charlotte and I can sit here together because we do a lot of work together and it's, it's not like we're sitting here pair programming, right? But we're sitting here and there's spreadsheets there and browsers there and whatever else. So we designed it to have an opening that's almost as wide as my arms. And I'm almost two metres high. So I can't remember the exact dimensions, but we can get my Herman Miller Air on and Charlotte's, which we leave in the corner just there as well, both can slide in here next to each other. So we've got this big, big, vast amount of space. Crazy amounts of cable management, crazy amounts of power plugs, because I don't know how many sockets I'm using at the moment. I just know it's like lots of them. That works great. And then it's just a cool colour because it just disappears into the room. When I shared the first photos and I said like before, a bunch of people were like, Where's the window? Well, the window's not in shot. There is a window along there. But for stuff like this, I don't want the window because the natural light very often screws stuff up. So I do have a window. I have light. I frankly don't spend too much continuous time here before going out there. I, ha I almost guarantee I have more light than you <laughs> out there because I live in such a sunny, sunny place. Anyway, it's here. It's in place. It's awesome. So that, uh, that delayed me yesterday, but it's looking really good now. Uh, not in frame, the pile of crap in the corner over there from all the drawers and things that I've pulled out and I just don't know what to do with it. We'll work it out. Lighting, you might notice the lighting's a little bit different. I don't have any neons in like pink or blue or anything at the moment. I'm, I'm toying around with this. It's now a, it's a more stylish environment now and the neon just felt a little bit, a little bit naff. So that may or may not come back. I've got to do a little bit of tweaking in Home Assistant, see how I feel about that. Gordon's asking, how's that NDC session good? Yeah, hey, you know what? Let me do the sponsor bit. So I'm going to do the sponsor bit and then I'm going to ask, oh, answer. Ask, answer. I'll respond. <laughs> sponsor this week is Veronis. Massive long-term sponsor. Needs no introduction here. But I'll do it anyway because they're this week's sponsor. And they have been many, many times. I'm quite sure they're my most prevalent sponsor now. Reduce your SAS blast radius. With data center security for AWS, G Drive, Box Sales for Slack, and more. Veronis is back on the sponsor bar this uh, this week. They have been extraordinarily good the times I've spent with them. Not just good to me, but good in terms of their product, uh, particularly around identifying exposed things. It really seems to be very much their niche, finding things that are there and maybe not meant to be there, uh, and identifying things like the blast radius in your SASs. SASs? Says instances. Ah, oh, you know what I mean. They're very good at that. So massive thank you to Veronis for their ongoing sponsorship and being there again this week. Now to Gordon's question here. NDC session. Yes, so I have been in NDC this week. Uh, we went to NDC on, on uh, Tuesday. Actually, slight tangent. This desk originally arrived on Monday and 
they got a few bits into my office and then we walked up and we had a look at it and we went it's the wrong color like it's literally it's brown i mean like we ordered this months ago it was not cheap a lot of work went into this it's meant to be perfect why is it brown and they just had not used the right color uh, stain on it so they had to take it away back up to Brisbane, fortunately not too far away, fix it, bring it back, reinstall it. Uh, and during that time, we were at NDC. Desk is fine now. So in answer to your question, <coughs> excuse me, uh, it was good. It was good. Uh, being back around a whole bunch of people again is nice. We'd seen a bunch of the NDC crew, of course, a very um, uh, very close bunch of people for us, given Charlotte spent seven-ish years working for NDC, and I spent the last eight years going and talking for NDC and to me that is the thing that that helped me make my career so uh, they're very very close uh, and and I stole their project manager and married her so that is a very unique connection that we have (laughs) so we had a really nice time just seeing people there we'd seen them in Melbourne but we'd had the wedding since then so that was really nice Uh, a bunch of the usual people that we see uh, at events uh, including Richard Campbell our celebrant from the wedding (laughs) so it's kind of like you know I saw a bunch of these people only a few weeks ago uh, different circumstances I did a a party talk on a Thursday night which was which was good fun it was not recorded (laughs) I, I talked a bunch about some of the abuse I get I show someone who was very abusive towards me, um, who was a criminal, thinks still is a criminal. Anyway, not recorded. You're going to have to come to an NDC to see it. I hope that I'll be able to get back into an NDC in Oslo sometime as well. It is a very, very long way away, as we all know. Uh, I will be back in Oslo only next month, actually. be back in Oslo, and I will be doing something community-centric there as well. So if you're in Oslo, (laughs) stay tuned for that. Everything else about NDC was was pretty much business as usual. We got out of there yesterday morning, Friday morning. We had to, to get back and collect children from school. Uh, but, uh, yeah, look, just just nice to be back. Brendan, cat update. My cat isn't in my room. Additionally, I now have a suit. Uh, yeah, congratulations. Uh, yes, completely unrelated. Oh, where the hell was I? Completely distracted now. Brendan's cat. Uh I got Ari on social media. So Ari has met the uh, criteria now to be on social media, which is he's a teenager. If there is noise in the background, it's because there's a teenager birthday party going on downstairs. Uh, it seems to be that as you become a teenager, and it's a while since I can recall that, <laughs> but basically birthday party consists of please leave us alone so we can play Xbox. Good deal. Happy with that. It's peaceful here. But anyway, on social media, so it was... It's kind of momentous, and I was like, mate, look, let's let's just make sure we sit down and we do this together, and give them the talk about social media, you know, just assume anything you put on there, no matter your privacy settings, anyone can see it, will be on there forever. Uh, there's some weirdos on the internet. Uh, I'm going to mention you and point to you. The even more weirdos will find you. Uh, trial by fire. So that's fun. That's fun having my, my son on there. Uh has 2FA on everything and a strong password from one password. <laughs> so it's kind of like nice to go through that routine. So we did a few of the social things. And I was like, okay, mate, I want you to do the other ones. I want you to make sure everything, one password, one password generated, password, 2FA, the whole thing. 2FA by auth token as well. We're going to talk about SMS, auth token, phishing, cryptographic keys. When you're a little bit older and you've got more valuable stuff, I'm going to give you a UB key and you're going to start doing that everywhere. It's part of growing up. It's <laughs> You know, it used to be like, you know, learning how to drive, learning how to do your washing, and now it's like, and also learning how to create strong accounts on social media and not get groomed by weirdos on the net. Anyway, moving on. I thought I'd do something a bit different this week. And uh, the reason is, I did a talk for Go To Copenhagen recently. I wasn't in Copenhagen. I will be in Copenhagen in December, incidentally. Not sure if I'm going to be doing anything social or not. In f- in fact, I'm going to be there. I won't say who it is. I'm going to be there with someone else as well, not just Charlotte and my family. But anyway, I did a talk for Go To Copenhagen, uh, and there were some questions at the end, but we had a very, very short amount of time. And, you know, when I do a remote talk, it's like you, you sort of do the talk and then you turn off your camera and you go back downstairs and it's life as usual and you pretty much forget about it and move on. But Go To Copenhagen collected feedback afterwards which is great i love it when people collect feedback when conferences collect feedback 
And there's actually some really, really good questions in there. And I started reading them and I was like, I should just answer this in a in one of these videos rather than do all the other usual stuff. I'll hold that over for another week because there's some good stuff in here. And I honestly can't remember exactly what they are. I just started reading it. So I'm just going to stop and then pick this up again live on camera because I think it'll be more fun. Now, they do ratings as well, same as NDC does, green, yellow, red. So ratings, you, you only ever get a subset of the people that attend rate because a bunch of people walk out the door and don't do the card thing. I had 176 green ratings, six yellow ratings, zero red ratings, which I'm pretty happy with. It, it is extraordinarily rare not to get any yellow or red. I have done it. <laughs> but is it, in fact, the first ever talk I did at NDC in 2014, I did it. I think it's all been downhill since there. But I'm also of the view that if you're not upsetting someone in some way, it's probably not a very good talk. Other than my 2014 one at NDC. Still there on YouTube, by the way. So happy, happy, happy with the empirical numbers. Let's talk about the questions. Uh, and I'm just going to go through them. I can't see what's going to come down, so I'm just going to be able to read one at a time without skipping ahead. Uh, first question, great talk. <laughs> I'm not sure what the question is, but thank you. Uh, uh, you know, I'm just going to skip the ones that are just nice comments and get to the actual questions. How can we be sure that password managers are safe? Safe? Safe. Uh, oh, that's an easy answer. You can't. <laughs> and don't anyone jump up and go, well, if it's open source, you can go through and read all the code yourself because no one's really going to do that in order to decide whether they should get the password manager or not. There are things that you can look for. Uh, there are very reputable open source uh, versions of password managers, uh, and there is, of course, some merit to the whole many eyes thing. As for my own favourite, 1Password, they have independent audits. Uh, they have bug bounties. They publish huge amounts of technical data about their implementation and why it is safe to use the, and I'm saying safe in an absolute way here, why it is very safe <laughs> to use the password manager. So I, I think you've got to look at it a little bit more from the perspective of what are the things that I can look at to create confidence that the password manager is safe. The track record is another good one. There are, without naming names, there are password managers out there that have had a history of various incidents, not always necessarily severe, but a history. Is there, as an end user, a way to avoid ending up in a data breach? Or is it an inevitable consequence that we just have to live with? Yes, it is an inevitable consequence that we just have to live with. I always think back to, first of all, me being in... I don't know, like 25 data breaches or something, and have I been pwned? I can't even remember. I think about this a lot. I'm in dozens of data breaches. And then the other one I think about is the Australian Red Cross Blood Service, where I went to a blood van to donate blood. I got a piece of paper on a clipboard and a pencil, and I filled out my data, and that went into a data breach. So I didn't even enter information into an electronic system. I literally just filled out some paperwork. Next minute, here we are. Now, what you can control is who you decide to give your data to and what data you give. But you can only control it to a certain extent. I mean, we've just had this massive news about the Optus data breach in Australia. And the big thing there was the leaking of driver's license numbers, passport numbers, Medicare, our government uh, healthcare system numbers. Now, you try going into an Optus store and saying, I would like a SIM card and I don't want to give you any identifiable data. <laughs> You're not getting a SIM card, mate. It's that simple. So it's a hard one, but we can choose not to give our birth date to some random forum so that they can send you a happy birthday email. Do you have hope we'll get something better than passwords in our lifetime? Now, this is an interesting one too, because define better. Technically better, well, we've got much, much better technical solutions at the moment. We've got things like cryptographic keys. Uh, we've got lots of ways of authenticating much more efficiently than memorized secrets. But we don't have anything that is better in the sense of the ubiquitous understanding of how to use it. And what I mean by that is I can go to mum and dad and I can go, do you know how to use a password? And they go, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I can go to my 10-year-old daughter and say, do you know how to use a password? Yeah, no problems. Everyone knows how to use a password. I said before, I was just showing Ari, now 13, uh, a YubiKey and going, you know, I'll give you one of these in time. I'm going to have to explain that concept to him. 
So we don't have something better in that regard. And the trick now is how do we boil it all together and go, what is the best solution for each use case? Because each use case is different. I do think, depending on how long we're all planning to live, we will see a time where passwords as we have known them all but cease to exist. But it's not going to be within the next 10 years. Mark my word. What password manager do you recommend? One password. <laughs> I just explained that. So... Again, full disclosure, I'm on their advisory board. I do get some money from them. Uh, I have explained why I picked them many, 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 many years ago, and then it took a very long time before I made any money from them, and I, I just keep using them. I still actually buy. <laughs> I buy the license. I buy a family license every year. So, yes, one password. It is too hot in your wine room. Not so much a question, more of an observation. Now, let me explain what happened here. In the Q&A, I showed my Home Assistant instance, and someone <coughs> has picked up on the fact that it says wine room, 32.1 degrees Celsius. Now, I probably should rename this a bit. There is, it's like a closet in the bottom of our house as part of the garage with a solid door on it, and it's large-ish, and I put my server rack there which blows out a lot of hot air. So it gets very warm in there. Now, we used to have wine sitting on a shelf there, and we just we always knew it was bad, uh, and it would get too warm, and it wasn't great. We actually have a wine fridge there now. And this person may have noticed, the same screen there shows that the wine fridge at the top, where the white wine is, is 8.4 degrees. I'd actually like it to be cooler. The bottom part is 18.4 degrees. So all the wine is at... Very maintainable temperatures. Now, the beer fridge, where I often put some of the white wine, is 0.9 degrees, also on the same image. Uh, but yes, that is a fair comment. On face value, the wine room is too hot. <laughs> How do we move past the mire of security problems that is password authentication? I think we just sort of covered that. You know, we've got better solutions that are gradually becoming more acceptable. Maybe it's as the older people, this is going to sound really bad, as the older people move on to other things in life and afterlife, and then the younger people like Ari come up and they're much more receptive of new technologies. We are moving on there. How did the breach the 17-year-old do cost money for Talk Talk? So often in my talks, I will talk about Talk Talk, if you're with me now, uh, which is a, a British telco that got hacked in 2015. And, and the reason why I use them as an example is I'm sort of setting a scene that there is an assumption that uh, attacks are sophisticated by shady people in hoodies staring at green screens doing sophisticated cyber things. And Talk Talk was interesting because it was a 17-year-old who was uh, subsequently caught for doing uh, allegedly, according to Talk Talk, <coughs> it was me. I keep coughing today. Not COVID. Don't think COVID. Uh, allegedly doing 70 million plus pounds worth of damage. Now, the question here is, how did the breach cost so much money? Uh, first of all, from memory, this was Talk Talk representing the numbers. <laughs> that might be representing the same numbers to their insurers as well, so there's that. But they made a PR disaster of it. In fact, this Optus thing that's just happened here in Australia has often been referred or, or referenced rather back to Talk Talk because that was an absolute mess as well. So the PR disaster, the lawyers that hire, the PR firms that hire, uh, the penalties from memory, the penalty they got from the ICO, the Information Commission's Office in the UK, was only like £450,000 or something. It wasn't much money. Uh, but just going through, obviously notifying everyone, all the credit monitoring that it says free, but someone has to pay for that. It, it'd be really interesting to see a breakdown of it. But that's their number. Lots of tens of millions of pounds. Daniel says, usernames, passwords have existed for 60 years. They ain't going anywhere for at least the next 20. Now, part of one of the talks I do is I show... Uh, a, an old black and white photo of a guy in a room full of it looks like magnetic tapes or something and it's MIT in the 60s and that was believed to be the first ever use of a password on a computer system uh, and of course the 60s is six decades ago as, as Daniel has said uh, I, I guess we are 
progress. It's, it's a whole sort of partly Moore's Laws thing, but just the rate of technological growth increasing so rapidly that we are getting better solutions very quickly. So it's not going to be another 60 years, but, uh, you know, I said at least 10 before. You might be right, Daniel, in 20. It'd be interesting when you think about the number of places that we use passwords, even the, the Wi-Fi here. Um, Ari just came and said, hey, what's, what's, the, what's the guest Wi-Fi password for his mates? So, well, you're just going to need a password for that, aren't you? Apple has ways of sharing it with each other, but, uh, you know, it's still a password. If you're on a Samsung, you're still going to need someone to actually give it to you and you're going to have to type it in. Okay, so that was Talk Talk. Top three advice on security. This is such a journalist question. I get this all the time. What are your top three tips for mums and dads at home? Uh, get a password manager, strong unique passwords, turn on two-factor everywhere, and then think about how much information you share and with whom. I've covered all that already, really. Can't you also remove the OData filter to return the complete data set? Oh, this was a beauty. Very insightful, actually. I talked about uh, TikTok track. Now, TikTok track, I've actually put it in my drawer here today. They make these tracking watches. So this is a pink children's tracking watch that is quite funny, actually, is about the same size as my Apple Watch Ultra. Like, it is massive, massive. In fact, if you look at it side by side, I reckon it's even bigger than my Apple Watch Ultra. Made by a company called Gator, sold as whatever it is the company selling it wants to sell it as. And we've got a company in Australia called TikTok Track. They sold these watches. Companion app runs on your phone. Watches sending geolocation data up to the cloud. Something magical happens in the cloud. And then the phone is retrieving it from there so the parents can see that the child hasn't been kidnapped or if they've been kidnapped where they are or if they've been kidnapped and the kidnapper has taken the watch off where the watch is but now they don't know where the child is because they've been kidnapped. Full of holes, <laughs> this whole tracking idea. We, being Ken Munro, Pentest Partners, and myself, did a, did a write-up on this where uh, Ken went through, analysed the request from the, the mobile app, found uh, effectively insecure direct object reference. So there was API calls going from the device saying, hey, get me uh, the family that is family 3486. And you get that family back. So you get uh, their name and their address and things like this. And then you can relocate the child based on that. And you can just change the number <laughs> to any family you want. And part of the URL was an OData query where it was like family ID equals bam. And this person's saying, can't you just remove the filter and then return the entire data set? Because you're not filtering anything out. And yes, you could. You're right. Now, I didn't talk about this at the GoTo talk, but we reported this, they fixed it, they put the service back online, and then I remember where I was. I was at NDC Security in Oslo. It must have been 2019, I think. Uh, 2019, 2020. I was there with Scott Helm and Ari and Charlotte, and someone got in touch with me, and they found this exactly. There was a regression bug, so the old bug that was there got pushed back out. They went through, they removed the filter, they dumped all the data, uh, and they sent me a video of how they did it. Now, this was someone who was legit stand-up person. I wrote a blog post about it later on, basically because the company didn't disclose uh, to their customers what had happened. But yes, you could just remove the OData filter and you get all the data back, which is kind of crazy. Nick007 is in London. G'day, good morning in London. Okay. What tools do you use for proxying API calls from the mobile apps? How do you deal with SSL pinning and or TLS encrypted traffic? Now, this is getting harder, but let me explain what we always used to do and then how we have to do things a little bit differently now. So I'm on a PC, I would use Fiddler. Uh, folks on a Mac who are in my workshops, they would use Charles Proxy. You could use Burp Suite or other proxies as well. You run the proxy on your own local machine and then you configure your mobile device to use a proxy that is the IP address of your machine. Now, you, you're all on the same local network here. Often there's a port as well. So now you have traffic going from here to your local machine through, say, Fiddler. You're seeing all your requests come through Fiddler just like if you just fire Fiddler up on your local machine. 
and you're doing full interception and you're seeing the, the traffic go backwards and forwards. But what about SSL slash TLS? Because the encryption happens on the device, decryption happens at some other point closer to the server, either on the server or network load balancer or something. So it's going through the proxy encrypted. This is where you need to do interception. So you turn on the ability to intercept SSL, TLS, whatever you want to call it. We do inappropriately use the terms interchangeably. And then you are given a URL to go and install a self-signed certificate from Fiddler on your device. And what's going to happen then is when you're doing the TLS handshake between the device and the server, Fiddler gets in the middle, gets in the middle of the handshake, and remember the handshake starts in the clear as well, sits in the handshake and says, well, look, I'm going to communicate backwards and forwards to the device, and then I'm going to communicate backwards and forwards to the server. I'm going to communicate backwards and forwards to the server over TLS. I'm going to decrypt and then re-encrypt the traffic with my own self-signed cert. Normally, a device would reject that because that's precisely the sort of attack that we're trying to defend against with TLS. But because you've trusted the self-signed cert, the traffic loads anyway. That all used to work beautifully 99% of the time. Things that started to make it hard, iOS got increasingly cranky about doing that. There were more and more options you had to toggle. Yes, I understand. Yes, I know someone can intercept my traffic. It's just me. It's my proxy. That was a solvable problem. Where it's gotten harder is public key pinning because now you've got apps and it used to really just be the domain of banking apps but now you've got lots of apps which the software running the device here, that mobile app, is saying not only must it be TLS and the certificate must be valid and it can be valid if you've got your own root certificate that you've trusted but the public key must be this and if it's not this, reject the traffic. And typically when you're public key pinning, it's either the public key of the certificate or the root certificate of the CA or a certificate signing request. So it makes it much harder to then jump in the middle of the traffic. Right, other questions here. Do you think the Optus data will ever be released or do you believe the worst is over? <laughs> uh, I, I think that other than the 10,200 records that are out there, if I, if I was a betting man, I would say it won't be released it feels like if we take this at face value, and I don't have a good reason not to take it at face value, it feels like some kid who got the shit scared out of him and has literally had his mum storm into his room and say, you delete all that up to start it right now, you're, uh, you're grounded. And I think it would be very surprising to now see it turn up. Uh, something different to what was represented would have to happen. But we do have to work on the assumption that it was obviously obtained, we know it was obtained, but was misused. So treated as though it will go public, but if I had to make a bet on it, I'd say it wouldn't go public. That's, that's my guess. Um, what else is in here? One more question. Zero trust. How is it different from the age-old concept of deny by default, implicit, deny any any it look at it's similar in principle in that you assume that everything around you is bad and i i like the idea because the, i mean the enterprise is a really good example so back in the day decades ago there was the assumption i've done this in so many talks and and tutorials and things before but the the, the enterprise idea was you come into the enterprise there's a firewall around the enterprise everything on the outside is bad everything on the inside is good and we're never going to mix the two. That way we know that we can trust everything inside the enterprise. And then we started gradually just chipping away at this idea. Uh, we got floppy drives. And we started taking stuff in and out. You know, 1.44 meg worth of data on a five and a quarter inch floppy. Well, did I get all that right? Uh, USB sticks made it even worse. Companies would glue up the USB port just so people couldn't bring in USB sticks. And then we made it even worse because we started having mobile devices and the internet and cloud. And suddenly we had all of this ingress and egress and the blurring of the lines. And COVID just massively accelerated that as well because now we had people at home and they're having to VPN into the organization. But now they're spinning up external services because they need some service to do something that they used to do internally before. And then maybe they split tunneling so they can just go out to that one there but then go through it. And suddenly you're going... There's so much data flying around and the line between what is, air quotes, safe and unsafe 
corporate, non-corporate, approved, tested, passed all the compliance stuff, which doesn't always mean it's okay, that line's super, super blurry. So the, the, the principle of zero trust is to say, well, look, what, let's just assume that we can't trust anything. We lock everything down as though everything is malicious. And that's a much better way to be because we can say, let's assume that when something comes onto the network, it's going to be bad. And everything on the network has to be configured such that things that are not known and trusted and proven, and really this is this was, a, in fact, a lot of what was in the, uh, the Venify talk I did a couple of days ago. I've just retweeted some stuff for that today. Uh, machine identity. How do we trust that the identity of one machine talking to another machine is the one that it's meant to be? <clears throat> and they do a lot around client certificates and things like that, which make a lot of sense for those scenarios. Because when you look at something like this, it's like, well, how do we know the device calling the API is actually this? And it's not me sitting here filtering out OData queries <laughs> or something like that. So a lot of work to do there, but that's that's the basic principle. Uh, okay, next question. What else is in here? Where did my mouse go? We take your security seriously equals your call of importance to us. Your call? That may be a comment I made because one of the things on the TikTok track website, remember the watch, one of the first things the website would say is, uh, we take security seriously. And I always just joke about it because it's like, you know, I normally see that right up front of a data breach notice. We take your security seriously. By the way, we lost your data. Great. Apple always suggests a password in your credit accounts. However, I feel skeptical and never use it. Is that reasonable? No, that's not really reasonable <laughs> because what are your options? Every time I create an account, or just going through this, doing the Facebook and the Twitter and everything with Ari yesterday, uh, and using one password, we just take the one password suggested password. It can create a great big, long, strong, random thing. It's generating that password. It is always going to be better than the one you generate yourself. Assuming you're either mashing the keyboard or you're looking around the room and you see your cat and your child and what year they graduated or something like that. It's always going to be better. Uh, the other thing is that native feature of Apple, which I believe exists, but I don't use because I use the one-on-one password. Apple has carved out a really good niche around privacy, and, and I think they, they generally do a very good job of that. Uh, I have no reason to distrust the random password that Apple generates. Uh, I can't imagine why I would have to distrust that. And, and again, the alternative being use something that my brain generates. So no, I think that's okay. Trady Trev says, any thoughts on the new Matter protocol that was released the other day? So it was really exciting because Matter is, in theory, going to give us some unification with IoT devices. Uh, I've only read little bits and pieces about it. I know Home Assistant is excited about it. I've seen them mention it quite a bit. I don't know enough to comment on it yet. I, I think as we start to get a bit of traction on it, it's something that I've got to get up to speed with. But the principle of trying to have some consistency across protocols. I hate, for example, seeing you go and buy an IoT device and it's like, works with Google Home and Apple HomeKit. It's like, well, like did, did you have to design something special to work with one vendor's implementation of home automation? Like, why don't we create a protocol and a standard and then everyone has to implement this? We've been down this road, haven't we? Because then someone else will create another standard that's better, and now you've got two standards, and next minute you've got VHS. Anyway, we shall see what happens there. Okay, next question. There's a few more here. It seems many orgs only respond to security issues when it goes public, despite also publicly saying they take security seriously. Is regulation the only way to fix this crappy corporate behaviour? If only we have a regulation like a general data protection regulation, and then that would fix things. You see the problem. Uh, I think it was always a two-part question. The, the bit about only responding to security issues when it goes publicly, and then publicly saying we take security seriously. I just touched on the, the craziness of that, seeing that time and time again. There is definitely a pattern where it takes going public to get many organisations to respond in go-to 
was it GoTo? Maybe it was another conference. Maybe, maybe it was Venify the other day. I spoke about the Nissan Leaf where, again, proxying traffic, we found really serious vulnerabilities. I literally had to write a blog post about that to get them to pay attention. And in fact, I spent a about, I think from memory, it was like 11 days having good dialogue, making progress. And then they went silent, stopped returning my calls. I get to a month and I contact them and say, I'm going to write about this. Do you have any comments? Uh, and they said, yes, our comment is, please don't write about it. So I wrote about it. <laughs> and then and then they took it seriously. So this comment is very true. Is regulation the only way to fix it? Uh, well, clearly it's not the only way. It is part of the solution. And clearly that alone has not solved the problem. We've been getting much stricter regulation, not just GDPR, but CCPA in California. Australia's got something which is better than what we had before it's terrible but it's better than what we had before it has not fixed the problem it's just possibly given us more of a framework to deal with these issues when they happen <sighs> Heidi says DVD with different formats here yeah, remember we had HD DVD and Blu-ray and yeah and then Blu-ray won that one uh, and now we don't care about any of that anymore Dan says, hi, Troy, what's the take on the hidden versus broadcast SSID for the home network debate? <coughs> for, excuse me, for a very long time there, I had a hidden SSID. Uh, first of all, it is still discoverable from memory in SSID, the network sniffing uh, app, which I have on my laptop, actually, could resolve that. So it was more to hide it from like randos wandering around their device. Uh, it does make connecting a bit more of a pain in the ass because it's like hidden network and then you have to type in the name of the network. And if you're using good modern WPA2 on your network things, which I'm sure everybody is with a decent password, really what are you gaining? If you're worried about the SSID identifying you, call it something different. Um, you can choose whatever you want to call it. Make it fun. So, yeah, I, I, I don't worry about the hidden thing. All right, where are we? How are we tracking for time? Someone else asked the same question about iOS-generated passwords. We've covered that. Do you think passwordless systems like WebAuthn will take over the world after passwords? Well, again, they're part of the solution, right? WebAuthn is taking us down a path where we can start to reduce the dependency of typing passwords, especially into browsers. They don't solve the problem they don't make it all go away and they introduce other problems as well and as i said before if we don't have a password and we have some other form of identification that is still something that people need to learn and adapt adapt adopt i get used to and for folks like my parents that's a hard ask so part of the problem doesn't solve it all or part of the solution rather Brady Trev says, uh, you can still war drive a hidden SSID by the MAC address of the device. It's a type of obfuscation from memory. Actually, the MAC address is a good point too. I can't remember if Wiggle, so Wiggle, is that still out there? It used to be Wiggle.net. That's Wiggle with a 1G, W-I-G-L-E.net. And Wiggle was always like a massive, yeah, it's still there. All the networks found by everyone. It's like a massive, massive, massive uh, database of SSIDs and I think from memory MAC addresses as well. I can't recall. Uh, mapping them all with geolocation too. So if you go there, I'm going to let Wiggle know my location just to see what it finds. And there's like so Like we don't live in a particularly dense area here, but there are so many dots. I'm zooming into my house. Does it know what my network is here? That would be really fascinating. Because people have war-driven it and then submitted the data. There was a time some years ago where Scott Helm and I wore jet skied around our canals and he, he built up a great big wiggle database. Uh, what's that one? Not logged in. Log into wiggle to use this feature. Oh, okay, we're not doing that now. Anyway, look at it. It's interesting. Do I need Wi-Fi 6? Uh... Depends. <laughs> I've got uh, an in-wall access point that's Wi-Fi 6 just here, which I just put here the other day. It was an Aries room, but I took out a Wi-Fi 6 external access point, all ubiquity gear. It doesn't really make much difference for me here, at least from the perspective of throughput. I know Wi-Fi 6 does other things as well, but I think that one of the headline figures is throughput. I'm literally on a 40 megabit connection here is the best I can get. So I'm not going to suddenly like 
stream movies faster or something like that. Uh, incidentally, I am getting fiber to the premise installed at last. It was meant to all go in eight days ago. Uh, something else had to be done between the road and the house. Yesterday I had people here literally running more fiber. I have fiber attached to the outside of my house now. So I am one NBN, that's our national broadband network, visit away from having, I should be able to get, oh, was it gigabit? can't remember. It was like gigabit down and half gigabit up. It's actually, it actually pretty impressive. So uh, if anyone else knows all the other wonderful things that Wi-Fi 6 does, you can chime in. But certainly from the perspective of throughput and speed, that's probably not normally what you're after. Dev Sharma, what do you think of FIDO2 and WebAuthn as a replacement for passwords? I think I just answered that. <laughs> so maybe I'm not reading this in the right order. Part of the solution. Uh now, Brennan then says, read de-identification of SIDs. Is using the ISP's auto-generated one adequate? It, 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 there's not a problem with it other than a, it's a pain in the ass seeing. I just hate seeing those ones. Like, name your network something. I've been public about this before. I named my, my network HTTP 403. It's the name of my network because it's unauthorized. Uh, when I set networks up for other people, I will often call it like the dog's name. It's a bit sad because I did it for some neighbours and their dog recently died and they got another one. And I set not. I think I also put an emoji of the dog afterwards and now I feel bad every time I see the SSID and I don't know if I have to update it to the new dog's name. But you can put whatever you want on there. Same sort of point before. Decide whether you want it to identify you or not. Different people, different reasons, different density of places as well has some impact on that. Well, there's lots of questions coming through here. Uh, we're at 41 minutes. What are your thoughts on the rise in smishing campaigns, especially with alphanumeric sender IDs being so easy to get and impersonating real business? We're getting a lot of those. I had one um, one recently from someone saying that my mum and I needed to send some money, uh, which sounded very strange. Actually, this is fun talking to, to Ari in particular now as a teenager about these things, where I said, you know, when you're on social media there will be people who pretend to be someone that you know to connect to you. And I gave the example. I said, look, I got this, this SMS the other day. Someone, they said, their mum, his grandmother, in the shop, needed $200. Could I please send it to this bank account? And I said, how would you verify that? You know, how would you check that? And he said, oh, you could send an SMS to Nana on the number that you know she normally uses and ask her. So that's actually a really good idea. Yes, you could do that. I would probably call her as well because there's nothing like hearing someone's voice. Anyway, in terms of the rise of them, I, I think what I find fascinating, and I don't know the answer to this, is how consistently they use mainstream telcos on both their end and my end to get through messages that are really, really clearly phishing campaigns. It just feels like there's something we should be able to do a lot better of. Uh, so my thoughts are, it's really, really nasty. I can't understand why we're not on top of this one. Trader Trev is a huge Wiggle Wi-Fi fan. Got nearly 300,000 on his phone. Jeez. Dev Sharma says, the debate on whether having too stringent password complexity rules on apps website is actually bad practice. What is your opinion on this? My opinion is there is no debate. It is bad practice. <laughs> we, we've known this for many, many, many years now. I wrote a blog post called uh, Authentication Evolved, I think in 2017, 2018, that drew data from NIST, from the NCSC. It was very, very clear about getting rid of uh, arbitrary password complexity criteria and looking instead at things like breached uh, passwords and not letting people use those. That's why there is pwned passwords out there. So... It is very counterproductive and it's a pain in the ass and it should die a fiery death. And it's not a debate anymore. <laughs> um, what else is in here? Uh, Solarius says, in my brain, it feels like one gigabit uh, feels slow for fiber. You, you got to remember, it's, it, it's not about the capacity of the material itself. It's about what the providers are willing to offer. Now, I'm coming from a... 100 megabit plan that consistently gives me 40 megabits and in fact i have open right in front of me on my home assistant dashboard speed test 
and it runs and it pings the entire time to see what download speed it can get. And I'm constantly getting 38 megabits down and about 19 up. So I don't care whether it's fiber or Starlink or whatever it is. If I'm suddenly getting, even if I was getting 100 megabit, I'd be so happy. Imagine that. That's like a 250% boost in my down speed. That'd be massive. So I hear what you're saying, but we're dependent on the telcos as well. Um, Brennan says, what are you saying is that I should name mine balls and balls for you. You can name yours whatever you want, mate. I think just make it fun. How many times do you see, like, SSID is called NSA Surveillance Fan? Have some fun with it. It doesn't matter. Someone says, here, my phone's hotspot is called something like ASIO Surveillance Fan. So there you go. We're on the same wavelength. No problems. Mine used to be called Panic at, at the Cisco. Okay. My phone's definitely not Cisco hardware. Uh, Brandon says, out of curiosity, I'm guessing you're upgrading from uh, fiber to the node based on the max download speed uh, you said you can currently attain. There was definitely copper running into the house. So I assume it was fiber to the node, and this is fiber to the premise that we're going to here. Silaris, apologies if I've mispronounced that, says, uh, macOS's password complexity requirements are a pain with every single user we onboard each week especially the no three repeating characters or two consecutive characters. Oh, jeez. Dev Sharma says, I've heard that if two messages, this is on smishing, come from the same alphanumeric sender ID, one with a real business, one for a fraudster, the messages app group them in the same conversation. Uh, yes, possibly, possibly. And <laughs> Netboot Dice has already found my SSID in Wiggle, which probably doesn't surprise me at all. Let me go to the next question here, because I want to uh, knock a few more out of these before I run out of time. If we shouldn't set requirements for passwords, should we accept the empty string? No, because we still should have a minimum requirement for length. And it probably should be about eight characters. Don't lose your mind at this, but once you get to that and you've got randomized, or you've got a string that hasn't been seen before and... It's not a perfect science, but no, don't accept an empty string. That would, uh, that would not be good. What are the most effective measures for companies to prevent data breaches? <laughs> Write decent code. Don't leave your database publicly facing. Look, there's, there's a whole bunch of things. A lot of companies talk about a culture, a culture of security. A lot of companies, uh, many of the ones I've gone and done training at, create uh, security champions, so people that will be the the very often in a development role, but be the leaders. And they'll they'll regularly introduce new security uh, material into the organisation or they'll go to trade shows or they'll, they'll be the ones that focus more on it and try and encourage others to do the same. Uh, everything from code reviews through to penetration testing, through to dynamic analysis, through to having bug bounties, uh, through to having leadership that actually invests in it <laughs> is all quite good. There's certainly not just a, a one-stop shop there. With my bias running training, I still think training is the best value because it just pays off over and over and over again. Uh, going to Black Hat and buying a half million dollars worth of firewall has always felt like about the worst ROI possible. Are we going to run out of passwords? <laughs> no, no, we're not. What are your thoughts on Apple promoting Hide My Email, Private Relay, alerting and compromised passwords in your iCloud keychain? So Hide My Email, same sort of thing as what 1Password has done with Fastmail. The idea here is that your email address is almost like a primary key to your digital life. And if you give everyone that primary key, then everyone can tie together and then they can go to like data enrichment companies and find more information about you. So giving them an email address that doesn't tie back to you does enhance your privacy. That's very, very true. Uh, now you've just got to think about, do I actually want them to know who I am? Do I now want to be dependent on Apple or Fastmail or someone else now being the guardian of all those public identities through to my private identity? I like the idea of it. I, I do like the idea of it. Um, would you go and do it everywhere? Maybe do it in one or two places. How do you feel about it? Have you ever gotten records from the darknet or heard about breaches from there? Yeah, yeah. I just laugh every time I hear darknet because it's in the news the whole time. Say this Optus stuff. I'd be, I'd be, 
I'd be on these interviews and a journalist would go, so I hear the Optostarter is on the dark net. It's like, maybe, but it's also on the clear net. Also, do you know how easy it is to get to the dark net? Always makes me think about uh, <laughs> somewhere in someone's journalist's mind, it's like, this is if you're buying guns from the docks, you know, and you go down to some dark and scary place and there's bad guys there and they might smash your head in or shoot you or something like It's just a browser. It's an Onion browser. You route through a few other nodes and you end up on a website with HTML and JavaScript and some CSS. Like it's, it's not a big thing, plus most of the data isn't there anyway. It's on public forums, which is exactly where the Optus data was. Is Troy Hunt real? Yes. Okay, so the rest of it is rating comments. We'll come back to that in a moment. I'll look at the comments here in the chat. Um, Solarius says, I'm happy for the mobile device management we enforce at work, even if people feel it is a pain. We've had two laptops stolen now, but we get, we get to remotely lock and wipe them, which is really cool, isn't it? I mean, it's really cool. We can do that even with consumer-grade products. You know, we can literally say remote wipe either on command or wipe if someone gets 10 failed login attempts which is not bad because you can always just restore from backup then you know particularly something like this i don't want to have to go and buy a new phone but i'd love to be able to remote wipe grab a new device restore from iCloud you're back up and running in no time brandon says wait do you have an mb inbox connected to a phone socket if so could very well be fiber to the curb and are quite unlikely with your speed or lack thereof uh no it is not an mbn box it is a it is a device provided by aussie broadband uh, it is literally a modem plugged into a phone jack uh i don't think that's what you mean regardless it's going rating comments i always find them very interesting particularly the ones that aren't, po- <laughs> aren't just positive most of them are really really good uh awesome funny great uh best yet that's nice awesome uh, had heard most of it before, but Troy's still an awesome speaker. And then two under that, oh, under that, very, very basic, done a lot of new insights. So a lot of it people would have heard before. I, I can't create completely brand new content for every talk. What I do make sure I do is like every talk will have a whole bunch of different stuff in it. Uh, and part of the way you do that is you localize it. Um, you localize it and you make it relevant to current events. So go to, I did talk a lot about the end, the, the NBN. Brennan's got me confused now. I talk a lot about uh, uh, the Optus data breach. And when it was in Copenhagen for GoTo, I mentioned you know a lot of stuff related to Copenhagen. I spent a lot of time there. I like it. Someone here says, great speaker, but remote? It's like, yeah, it's, it's hard traveling. It's really, it's, it's a long, long way to get to Scandinavia. I mean, that is about as far away as you can go. Uh, and I've done that a lot of times now. So I know. I've got to do it again next month. be fun doing it with the kids. I told them there's a bar in the back of the aeroplane. They're very excited. Uh, really nice talk. Grand speaker. Entertaining. Fascinating talk. Time was flying. One of the best. Tour. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's good. Anyway, that's getting self-ingratiating. We don't need to go through all that. But it is nice getting feedback like that. And I thought there were some really good questions there. Also some really good questions here on the YouTube chat. Uh... I think we're we're pretty much through all of those, and I'm now at over 53 minutes. So uh, that um, that has actually worked out well. Thank you for particularly for the go-to participants. If you're either here now, or you listen to this later on, they are really good questions. I really like this format, uh, and I, I like having stuff that we can take away and talk about later on. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Next week I'm going to come back and do some of the other more general infosec stuff that I'm going to just hold over. There was nothing too critical or timely there. Uh, And I'm sure that there'll be some more data breach stuff before next week as well. So thanks for joining on a Saturday and I'll catch you next week, hopefully on a Friday.